Welcome to the SDG Talks podcast, where we discuss all things around the sustainable development goals and the roadmap to 2030. We are your co-hosts, James and Kevin, here to take you along the SDG ride. We hope you enjoy today's SDG Talks podcast. Transfer is still quite limited to just sending some money or sending some medicines or packets of water or food, and that is quite inadequate and uh, it's not going to work in future. So I think what we have to make use is of different early warning systems and prepare local people to make use of these systems, not somebody from outside trying to tell them this this is going to work or not work and this is how you have to do it. But these people need these stations at their somewhere close to them where where they can use, they can leverage their local, local knowledge and know what's going to happen. Sayanti Sengupta, based in Berlin, is currently finishing her master's thesis on how social protection can help in climate adaption. After her first master's in water management in Mumbai, she worked across slums and villages in India to help people get access to safe water, menstruation, and sanitation facilities. She has worked as a consultant to the Red Cross Climate Center, Bread for the World, and ITAD. She is passionate to work in the intersection between SDG 6 and SDG 13, bringing climate and water management together. She is also an English editor and coordinator for the 17 Goals magazine. In this podcast, we will dive into the impacts of migration due to climate change. We hope you enjoy listening and keep SDG talking. Sayanti, why is it more important to talk about the SDGs now more than ever? I think we all kind of realize that we just have 10 more years to go till we reach 2030. And I think the institutions of different organizations and the private sector, most importantly, which has been long not been part of this SDG agenda, they are also trying to come across and trying to get involved with the SDGs and to see how they can leverage their business using SDGs. And this gives them a big global branding as well nowadays. So I think all everybody's kind of realizing we have to get is done. Otherwise, we we don't know. I mean, starting from what happened in Australia to what's happening right now, everybody's connected. We really cannot afford to think that, okay, it's up to the academics or it's up to the professors or it's up to the SDG people who are working on this. So I think it's more important because we are realizing that we're really at the brink. And if we do not do something now, eh, this is not going to work out. Yeah. And I think we, we learned from Unleash and as well as continued conversation with fellow change makers like yourself is that all these SDGs are connected. There's no one that's completely isolated from the next one. And and obviously Absolutely. we had a, a big focus around around water, but I know the kind of the big word climate change is something that is always talked about in media and everyone is either freaking out about it or doing nothing about it. And I know you you had mentioned in your thesis here, you're doing all the work as it pertains to climate change and in particular, the impacts of migration due to climate change. So could you give me, give me a little context on sort of what does that even mean? Like what does migration due to climate change mean and what kind of problems does that create for our current framework of society? So I'll just give you a short history. I mean, I was working in one of the islands in Bay of Bengal for my last thesis where I worked on 
one particular island which is actually not existing anymore. There were 10,000 people on this island and the island is completely under the sea right now and they have like no economic livelihood. They do not know where to go. There is no institutional structure for them. They have migrated to the next island that they found. And at that time, I concentrated on looking on at what the water and sanitation related problems were. But this time I want to look uh, like this is not going to be just 10,000 people in one small island in India. This is now going to be several other countries. There, It's going to be from Tuvalu to Alexandria to different islands and cities which are based on the coast. And there's going to be so many migrants in the coming days. So water and sanitation is definitely going to be a key issue. But what what do we do about it? I mean, this time I'm looking more at the social policies. What what does it mean for uh, employment? So many migrants are going to be uh, coming towards the European Union and the different countries that are there. So you cannot shut borders. This is not going to work anymore. So you have to be prepared. And what does this mean? And there are many policies at the moment which are talking about being climate sensitive, climate smart, but this does not actually contribute to making these people or these communities more adaptive. So I'm trying to look at what kind of policies can actually result in adaptation and increasing the resilience for these communities and also focus on how to improve water and sanitation facilities at the same time. So that's where I'm going to be working on. Interesting. Well, and let's just say, let's looking at you know, the environmental or even humanitarian aspects of climate change migration where, you know, whether it's in Central Asia or East Asia or, or Africa or South, North, East, West Africa, you know, what's an example of environmental impact of climate change? I mean, one is that the, the sea level rises and that the land's no longer there. But what, what would be maybe another example of an environmental externality of climate change yeah so i'll give the example of the island i've worked on so this island had a lot of forests and what happened the climate has changed and right now they in the last 10 years they had more and more number of cyclones coming so because of these cyclones uh, the storms have increased and the whole island has become saline the, it's completely flooded and they do not have any kind of agriculture they cannot practice agriculture anymore because the soil is completely saline because of the cyclone which has come and the sea and the complete island is flooded and after that what they do is they have been cutting the mangrove trees because they have no help so the trees which actually kind of created a barrier to protect them from these storms they had no other option but to use them to build their houses or kind of use them for firewood so even the natural vegetation barrier that they initially had they had to use it to survive for another year and this is a complete circuit it goes around so the increase in storms and cyclones making their making them lose, lose their livelihoods and now they are more vulnerable than ever to storms that are going to happen in the next few years so yeah this is increased storms and people losing their livelihood is is an example of an externality that's going to become more and more common in the coming days so then let's say with the migration that occurs you just you pick up and you move to the next island you know, from the humanitarian aspect of looking at Eastern or Western or Northern or Southern, anyone outside aid trying to help from a humanitarian standpoint, how does someone help? I mean, it's not as easy as just saying, hey, here's, here's, a, here's a bag of money, you know, good luck, 
you know, we need various sort of short, medium, and long-term institutions to build capacity. What can be done from a humanitarian capacity building standpoint to assist with climate change migration? Right now, what I think exists is they give a cash transfer when the cyclone occurs they give they do send money but after the system after the storm has already hit the population or after the drought has already occurred in a country in africa so what we are trying to do is trying to use emergency warning systems much before so that we know what's going to affect a particular com- community in the coming days and maybe prepare them to already transport their life livestock to another island or to some safer place so that they do not have the same kind of risk but it's not very uh, it's not yet done for many parts of the world which cannot afford this kind of institutional support or this kind of technology to work with early warning systems and uh, yeah so humanitarian transfer is still quite limited to just sending some money or sending some medicines or packets of water or food and that is quite inadequate and uh, it's not going to work in future. So I think what we have to make use is of different early warning systems and prepare local people to make use of these systems, not somebody from outside trying to tell them this is going to work or not work and this is how you have to do it, but these people need these stations at their somewhere close to them where, where they can use, they can leverage their local, local knowledge and know what's going to happen and try to kind of deal with that. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, it seems like there's a lot of ways to go about that. And so, what this is, this is kind of a, a general question, but two questions. One, what keeps you up at night? And two, what excites you most about our ability to meet these 2030 goals? So what keeps me up at night? I think recently it's been like, okay, there are so many ideas, especially after coming from Unleash. It was like, okay, I know this. I know Kevin. Okay, I have to ask him what, how we can collaborate. Or I have to ask, I have a new idea about this and I, I can reach out to that. So I think as much as it is difficult than ever, it's also easier at the same time because you have no, you have this network of people who are also thinking the same way, driving the same trying to work with the same problems and we are just of course spread geographically but we are connected so much that I, I know what somebody else from Unleash 6 is doing in some other part of the world and I can just get in touch so I think that keeps me quite awake uh, in the night and I, I feel like there's so many things that we are doing and still can do so just pushing and pushing and getting there and agenda 2030 and I think um, I would say that I'm quite uh, I am not so hopeful, but I still feel that it is possible for us to reach it. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm doing it and you're doing it and there are so many of us trying to get there. And uh, it's still 10 years and I think that um, like the private sector is going to play a key role because uh, the whole, uh, whole debate about private sector just being capitalistic and not being involved in development agenda, I think they are also understanding that for them to have their business, they have to have the world in the first place. Uh, if the world ceases to exist and if we're all dying of global warming, where are they going to sell their products? So I have, I mean, at least I can speak from my experience in Germany and India, more and more companies are getting involved and trying to do something with SDGs. So this is something positive and I think we, all of us in whatever capacity we're working, we need to leverage this interest that's getting there. 
It's good. Yeah, I mean, there's no direct roadmap. You know, we've got these general goals, but I think the it's probably a lot of people were maybe I don't say disincentivized, but they were just maybe overwhelmed. Like when the whole Al Gore video came out about the the whatever his video was, the truth revelation of the world and. You know, I think everyone was just like, oh, my God, this problem's too big. Like, I can't do anything. It's too big. But I think what we've learned is that individual actions at scale across populations really can make a difference. And that's as simple as as saying refusing single-use plastics. It's a matter of changing the way that you eat, let's say, whether it's not eating red meat all the time and, and substituting other diets, you know. Just those decisions with um, one-time-use plastics and your meat consumption really drive what the market is bringing to you. And again, my, people might think, "Oh, one person that doesn't make a difference," but it really does. And I think we—I think it was encouraging to be with a thousand other people when we were unleashed. But you know, this little tangent I'm, I'm bringing to you is: how do we communicate to people that? you know, maybe don't think about the SDGs all the time or don't even know what the SDGs are. You know, how do we communicate to the regular Jane Doe about the importance of some of these actions and get other people as interested or excited as we are? Yeah, right now I'm working for the small magazine in Berlin and it's about change makers. So I think the magazine works on SDGs and like people who are working in SDGs and creating change. But what the magazine really celebrates is young people or just people normally walking around who are doing small things but having big impacts, you know. So it's like, suppose tomorrow I go out in the street and tomorrow I have a bottle of water which I don't want to drink because it's been so long. I can just pour it instead of in the concrete. I would just pour it on the grass so that the water goes into the soil and it recharges the soil. It's just this small thing. I mean, maybe we'll just throw it into the concrete pavement and it will just evaporate and you are really not using that water but if you just pour it into the ground and uh, it, it actually recharges the soil and these are these very very small things which we don't realize how much effect it can have but we just need to keep saying it we just need to talk about it we just need to know that this is not about one Greta Thunberg doing things this is about like small local people doing a lot of things together and at the end it's going to come together so I think you just have to keep making more podcasts Kevin and we just have to keep doing what we are doing and talk about it and write blogs and I mean communication is really key and uh, saying the good results spreading positive news is also very very important just not saying okay where we are lacking but where we are achieving because that's very important for inspiring people like us and to get more and more people involved and not let it overwhelm us yeah couldn't agree more and and I, I'm just looking at our podcast notes, and this this is maybe a little bit different than than what we've been talking about. But I think it's important to talk about the the wide breadth of stuff. But tell us about your unleashed solution. Kind of what what was the problem, and what is the intended solution, and and if there's been any you know progress in the market with that kind of effort. The problem that we were looking at is that many people in the world still, or many women in the world still lack continuous supply of menstrual hygiene products. And that includes sanitary napkins. And uh, yeah, they are still using many times cotton cloths, which is not a problem 
if they are properly washed, but many times they are not and they are reused many times and shared between different members of the family, which results in several reproductive diseases in women. And we had a great team where, with two nice men as well. And we tried to create a solution where the sanitary napkins could be made by the women themselves and like mobile stations that could go from one village to another and we wanted to inspire women to make their own sanitary napkins if they could not buy it so instead of them coming to the shop the shop coming to them and this was the kind of approach we wanted to kind of create and uh, I think it was quite interesting to see because we had people from Afghanistan from Haiti from India trying to put and we realized that the problem is quite similar even though we are so so many miles apart and uh, yeah so we have been sharing our presentation with a few um, stakeholders in India I have been in touch with a few NGOs who are working already in these kind of area with menstrual hygiene and uh, yeah we are hopeful that this year we are going to maybe get in touch with more people and see what's the market like and if we can have something yeah well I remember with the presentation it was one of the I, I, lo I loved all the presentations, but yours really stuck out to me as something that was not only a direct need, but a way to take some of the recycled or kind of older materials and use an opportunity to employ some of the local labor. So it was really turning this problem into a solution. And I like that. And it does tie into our earlier discussion around you know climate change migration, where if you're talking about people that are uprooted, how are we all of a sudden going to provide them bare necessities? And and what I liked about this is the it reminded me of just the rise of food trucks, especially mm -hmm. in, in the Western, uh, you know, whether it's in Western Europe or America, you see food trucks everywhere. And you don't necessarily need the brick and mortars and big manufacturing plants, but you can have a truck that can have workstations and you can do a lot of, a lot of production. Um, so I, I like the idea of decentralized production using recycled and excess materials. So I think... There, you're onto something, and and I hope listeners want to maybe get involved. Or myself, you know, I'm I'm interested in helping from a business development or or marketing or sales standpoint because I really do think the idea has a lot of legs. Yeah, I think women coming and making. I mean, we had this option like who cannot pay, they can actually come and make their own product with the saris that they're generally wearing. We're just going to supply them with a machine, and this I think is quite sustainable. We are not creating extra waste, and uh, it has a big uh, climate change uh, plus positivity towards it. And uh, yeah, it's a circular economy that we are trying to promote here. So. Let's keep our fingers crossed that we can get through with this and get this to somewhere. Yeah. Baby steps. So, Sayanti, is there any any other final thoughts or comments that you would like to make before we close out here? I would just like to tell all, all the fellow unleashers and everybody who's listening that I think we are all doing okay and we just need to keep doing okay. We just cannot give up because... Uh, yeah, just keep doing it and uh, we'll see what happens in 10 years and maybe we will have made it without even knowing. Love it. Well, thanks for everything you're doing for the SDGs and, and your community and I uh, look forward to talking again soon. Yeah, talk to you soon again. Bye, Kevin. Thanks. Thank you.
couple things I took away. One of them might be, it kind of sounds cliche, but it's like the whole notion of where no one is too small to make an impact. And I love that quote from Gandhi where if you think you're too small to make an impact, well, then try sleeping with a mosquito. And as it pertains to individuals, obviously we can try and stop our, our red meat consumption or our plastic bottle usage. But even still, if you have water in that water bottle, pour it into a plant or pour it back in the ecosystem so that water can be recycled. There is a finite amount of water in the world, so that's one thing that can help. And then I really thought that her insight on her thesis on the cascading impacts of the different things that happen with climate change, when you have one island that all of a sudden goes under and then you have these people migrating to another place and there's no social services, there's no capacity building. So I challenge all of you to think about how can we quickly build short, medium, and long-term capacity for people that are now experiencing climate migration? Keep thinking about that. Love your thoughts and ideas. Send us a direct message and hope to hear from you soon. Thanks for listening to the SDG Talks podcast. Make sure to check out all the show notes for relevant links from this show. Please share and follow SDG Talks on social media and stay tuned for updates from the Unleash in United Nations community goal of the SDG Talks is to bring you good content. So if you want to learn about something specific or have suggestions, please let us know. We look forward to seeing you next time on SDG Talks.